1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. What a night we have planned for you tonight. We're, we're an hour early tonight because we have an action-packed show. Don't worry, we're still here till midnight. I didn't tell you that guy. I said you were here all night long. We might even go later depending on how the field reports are. Because we are going to have an incredible show for you tonight. It's our second annual Bridgewater Triangle show where we focus on the mysterious happenings in that paranormal vortex known as the Bridgewater Triangle. And we are going to have uh, some guests in the studio talking about the triangle. We are going to have teams actually out in the field. It's like, what, 15, 20 degrees out? But we're going to send them out there anyway because they're diehards. The, these are some, uh, it's a mixture of uh, some listeners, some scientists, some serious paranormal investigators. It's uh, quite an interesting group that we have out there, and we'll get into more of that a little bit later on. And we're going to discuss some of the triangle history, some of the uh, reported occurrences that have happened there, and hopefully uh, while our teams are out there, we can have a few experiences that we can report on the radio. So it worked out pretty well uh, the last time we tried to do this, the Haunted Tour of Route 44 episode. We were able to get some field reports during that show, and it worked out. So we'll see if it works out tonight. We have four teams out there, so... We'll at least talk to a couple of them during the course of the night. And, of course, we want to hear about your experiences, 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500. The message board is down here at the studio. But, of course, if you have anything you'd like to share, you can always reach us there, SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, speaking of which, if you go to the website right now, you can download last year's episode on the Bridgewater Triangle uh, where we had Chris Pittman and Aaron Kadju in there in the studio talking about the triangle, you can download that classic episode, which we were, you know, able to cut out all the commercials and the news breaks. We're so much more sophisticated than we were back then. Uh, I don't know how we even got things on the internet back then, but uh, somehow we did, and we were able to clean them up and make them sound a little bit better. So check that out. And also on the website, on the blog, we have a link to the Inside the Bridgewater Triangle film that Aaron Kadju made, which is... Probably, he says he gets requests for it like once or twice a week, people looking for a copy of it. And he's been kind enough to just burn copies off for people and mail them to him. So now everybody can download it there. It's actually a Google video. So if you go to Google Videos and search for Inside the Bridgewater Triangle, you'll find it as well. And you can download it, save it to your computer, download it for your PSP, for your video iPod, take it with you to go. It's uh, unbelievable, that film, and it'll really get... Give you an idea of what it is that we're talking about here tonight. And uh, he'll be in a little bit later on to join us. We'll also talk to members of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, which have been out in the Triangle. But here in the studio, we have uh, an all-star group already here. And we have uh, Chris Pittman, who is the historian for the Bridgewater Triangle. He chronicles everything on his website, members.aol.com slash thecoro64. We have a link to that, a link to all these websites on spookysouthcoast.com. How are you tonight, Chris? I'm doing good. Nice to get you back. I'm ha- very happy to be back. And uh, we've probably done, I don't know, maybe five or six shows over the course of the last year that have touched upon the triangle, and it just seems like there's more and more reports as the year goes on. Have you seen an increase in activity as of late? Uh, you know, I usually see an increase in activity uh, when the weather gets colder mm-hmm. every year, and uh, certainly there's been no shortage of activity so far this winter. And all the usual type of reports, UFO sightings, uh, ghost sightings? Absolutely. I get a lot of uh, a lot of ghost sightings. I haven't gotten as many UFO sightings uh, lately, but they, they do come in. And, of course, the monster reports all the time. And, and those are hopefully uh, one of our teams is actually out there on the hunt for Bigfoot tonight. So we'll see if we can get a hold of him, uh, 
get him on the phone, see if he'll do an interview, see if he'll grant us uh, a few minutes of his time. We also have with us Chris Balzano, the administrator of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. That's masscrossroads.com. How are you, Chris? Excellent, excellent. How are you doing tonight? Oh, very spectacular. I just wanted to, uh, to first say I mean, happy birthday to Spooky South Coast. Thank and you. And a year of uh, the great job that you guys are doing. So it's glad, uh, very proud to be a part of it. We're uh, we're actually in the beginning stages of planning a birthday party. So make sure that you come. I will. Sh- should be uh, should be a nice night if we can get it going. Right, Matt Costa. I have your microphone, so you can't talk. You're sick anyway. I don't want you breathing on the microphone. And we also have joining us uh, Mike Markowitz, who is new to the program. It's his first time with us on Spooky South Coast. He actually is the co-host of a television show called East Bridgewater's Most Haunted that airs on Channel 9 in Bridgewater. So if you are listening to us from that area, make sure you check that show out. How are you doing, Mike? Hi, good evening. And you said you already have one show uh, under your belt and you're getting ready for show number two? Actually, we just finished show number two. Yep. And what are some of the things that you've talked about in the first couple of shows? Um, basically the history of the places that we were um, doing the investigation on. Mm-hmm. And um, I do the EVP work, so you know, I had some um, you know, a good array of microphones set up and whatnot. and um, Kind of got thrown into it. I was most supposed to just do the EVP work, and they said, okay, go, put the camera on me, and said, oh, you're the host. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So the idea behind the show is instead of sitting in a studio talking about some of the stuff, you're actually out investigating places? Correct. And, uh, how, I mean, how does that work, uh, trying to... Put everything together. I mean, you're basically doing what a lot of these television shows are doing with big budgets on a small scale. Correct. How are you able to get some of the different types of footage? Do you have night vision? Do you have uh, infrared, stuff like that? Um, we just got an infrared camera, but um, typically it's the um, the studio's equipment that we get to use. And because it's public access, mm-hmm. we get to use that equipment um, you know, at our leisure to do these uh, these shows. So it's that's been fantastic. I have I have my own equipment. As far as the um, the audio portion goes, with um, you know, microphones and mixer and, and, are you, and all that, are you an actual paranormal investigating group, or is it just related to the show? Um, I'm kind of divided in, in different things. I do the show, and I also have a group mm-hmm. um, that I've been with for a couple of years. What's the name of the group? Um, it's Boo Boston Organization for Odd Occurrences. It's a private group, basically friends, and um, we go out and get you know tons of orbs and. Lots of EVPs and have and, a ball. And you've uh, been kind enough to bring us in some pretty interesting EVPs. We'll get to those a little bit later, and uh, we will actually listen to those. And, and it's interesting uh, the the sheet that you gave me on them. If they're uh, if they're as creepy sounding as they are when you're mm-hmm. reading them, I can only imagine uh, what they must be like. And that's one of the interesting things about the triangle is there's so many different forms of activity, so many different things that have happened out there, so many different reports. And so anything from UFOs to Bigfoot or Thunderbird sightings to uh, the mysterious black dogs, uh, some of the, the black helicopters, which I know John Horrigan is hoping to see some of those tonight. And so I actually was thinking about just messing with him and hiring a helicopter to just fly overhead <laughs> wherever he was, but I just thought that might freak him out too much. So, yeah, why don't we uh, let everybody know who's going to be out in the field for us, actually. We have the North team is going to be comprised of our science advisor, Matt Moniz, and John Horrigan of the Mass Monster Mash. They'll be handling, uh, looking for Bigfoot. They'll be looking for some of the reports that have come out of the north side of the triangle. Uh, I know they're also hoping to kind of work their way south a little bit as the show goes on as well. We also have the Southwest team comprised of uh, two of our listeners, Gabrielle Lawson, who is a scientist by trade, and Luann Jolly, who is 
an Eagles angel for all those who listen to the show on a regular basis. The South team is going to be comprised of members of Haunted Paranormal Research Society. You can visit their site at hauntedprs.org. And then the East team is a couple of our listeners, uh, Justin and Crystal. They'll be out in the Freetown area trying to visit uh, Profile Rock, and they're going to try to get into the state forest, but I know that their vehicle doesn't really have four-wheel drive, and it's kind of uh, dark out there to be poking around too much. So they are out there in the field. They are going to call in with reports. We're going to call them. And uh, anybody else that has experienced anything, we invite you to call in and share as well. So let's see now. We've probably touched upon just the beginnings of some of these reports uh, in what we've talked about over the last few years. And I know the first UFO sighting, Chris, you told us goes back to 1760? Yes, that's right. It was in, uh, in Bridgewater. Uh, the details about that are, are up on my website. I, I do... Uh, get a lot of, you know, I have a lot of interest in these historical sightings, which are often documented in, in really obscure periodicals. Uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of other reports out there that have yet to be uncovered, and uh, of course it would be impossible to, to wade through all the period newspapers and documentation that are out there. Uh, but but the first documented one that we know of, uh, it was in 1760, and it's, uh, it's interesting to note that most of these historical UFO sightings from centuries ago really aren't uh, very much different from the UFO sightings that I receive every month today. The difference is, though, if you're talking about an 18th century uh, sighting, it's kind of harder to dismiss it as an airplane or sure. as a helicopter because they didn't have them then. So, Well, it's interesting to see how people interpreted those sightings also. They're described as flying ships or as airships. Uh, you know, strange meteors that, that looking at it now, we know that, that an object that fits that description couldn't be a meteor. And do you find, uh, even with today's reports, uh, is it easy to explain them away pretty quickly with well, all the research that you have at your fingertips? You know, of the reports that I get, of those that I get, uh, a large number of them really can't be investigated. When I get reports that are more than a few years old, uh, there's a single witness it's maybe it's a solitary light in the night. There's really not going to be any way to try to pin that down and, and try to determine if there might be a, a reasonable explanation for that. However, uh, when I get a recent report, maybe with a couple of witnesses, or there was uh, the sighting was a, a significant duration, I uh, I am able to investigate these. And of those that I investigate, about nine out of ten probably can be explained uh, as aircraft or you know planets, that kind of thing. But there, there is that solid core, 10% of reports, that uh, can't be explained, and that's what's maintained my interest in that all these years. Well, that's enough for me, too, to know that there's that percentage that can't, can't be easily explained. Uh, and if you've had any reports and you want to call in, uh, Chris would love to hear them during the course of the night as well. Now, uh, Chris Balzano, on your site, you handle... A lot of the myths and legends that have uh, happened around the Triangle, uh, including uh, some we've talked about here, like the red-headed hitchhiker, and you call you know, the Bridgewater Triangle and some of the regions that it touches into, like a Karras County. Mm -hmm. uh, you hear a lot of the ghostly activity that takes place there. And is it still just as frequent as uh, when you were getting reports when you started the site? You know, I'm, I'm actually not getting a lot of <clears throat> excuse me, new reports. I'm getting a lot of reports of people who are coming forward after you know, basically suppressing it for 10, 15 years. They want to tell me something that happened to them, um, you know, when, oh, when I was 16, this happened to me mm -hmm. or, or something like that. So I'm not getting a lot of new, like, yesterday this happened to me kind of reports, but a lot of people who are coming forward for the first time because they have 
kind of someone to listen to them for the first time. Well, I would hope uh, I hope that by talking about this so much and drawing so much attention to this area that we're not limiting the experiences people can have. I mean, sometimes when you talk about things, it can either make in activity increase or decrease. And I would hate to think that we're actually causing it to decrease because we're putting so much focus on it. Uh, maybe, you know, if, as people are out there and as people are starting to become paranormal investigators on their own, and I know Chris, is, Chris Pittman is kind of against that, uh, that type of... But unfortunately, I mean, there are a lot of groups that are going out there without any kind of experience or any kind of training. And one of the first areas that they try to get out into is the Bridgewater Triangle. Does that kind of pollute some of the reports do you think when they're out there and they might experience something that they can't explain but it's um the majority of reports i'm getting of new activity come from groups that are going out and they're they're taking seven or eight people with them and they're all flashing their cameras mm -hmm. and they're all kind of um you know going to these places that are kind of uh, touchstones for the forest i mean for the uh, triangle and and giving me all of this evidence which doesn't really seem like it's all that conclusive um, it sounds like it's a lot of investigators crossing flashes and, and things like that. And so I feel that, you know, some of those reports are kind of lessening uh, the potency of the, some of the original reports. Um, and also I'm getting a, a lot of people who are going to these places getting absolutely nothing, where traditionally they have received ghostly activity. People early on got EVP-type things or photographs, and now they're not. So I, I kind of feel maybe, you know, maybe too many eyes are on it, uh, and therefore it's kind of, you know, uh, dissipating and the energy might be going someplace else or and as we're learning more about it too it's kind of discrediting a lot of the reports that have happened too because i mean we did a, an event in freetown a few months back and we talked about the ledge and how the ledge has supposedly been there for a long time and there's these histories of native americans that have committed suicide pl you know plunging off the ledge and uh, somebody raised their hand and said, well, that's not true. That was built right. in, what was it, the 40s as a quarry. Yeah. So that's man-made, yeah. and it, it hasn't really been there for very long. And so we, all of a sudden that takes a lot of these reports and, these, and, and it throws a lot of doubt on them. And is that something you think that as we learn more and more about the history of that area? Because we're all outsiders, basically. Right. Mike's the only one that's actually living in that area. So to us, we talk about it and we put out what we think we know is the truth and then as we find out later on gee we've kind of been misled i think what it's going to do is it's going to weed out that 90 percent that chris was talking about so we have a genuine 10 percent and we can actually kind of look at those cases we can present a much stronger case overall because we're able to kind of weed out all of those things that might have been uh, much more myth than they are an actual haunting and and mike i don't know how much i, I don't know how long you've lived in, how long have you lived in the bridgewater area for um well, I, I had moved out and moved back in a couple of times, so um, probably a good 20 years. And how far back would you say you heard about the Bridgewater Triangle as a paranormal phenomenon? Um, probably only about a year ago, actually, um, and I, I was surprised to hear about it. I started searching the Internet and doing a little bit of research on it because I found it was fascinating that it was basically in my backyard, you mm -hmm. know. And, um, you know, I just started read, I read up a little bit on it, and then... Um, wasn't until after that that I started getting into the paranormal stuff. But you must have heard reports all these years of uh, different activity taking place around your town. Yeah, I've heard um, everything from the the silent Blackhawk helicopters to the um, mind control towers that are spread up, uh, spread out. Um, you know, they're still there, that are still active, and uh, all, yeah, all kinds of strange things. And uh, I mean, in terms of your growing up there, did you have experiences uh, in your younger days? Is that what pushed you into the paranormal? Um, no, it was actually a recording um, that I heard that got me into the paranormal, but it wasn't directly tied to the um, Bridgewater Triangle. 
But since then, uh, you've been poking around in there, and have you? Uh, do you agree with uh, what we talk about here? That definitely is a, a hot spot of activity, more so than anywhere else. Um, yeah, I would, I would have to say so because of the um, the Indians that have been, you know, living in that area. Um, the history that's involved with it has caused people over the the you know the years to to keep going back and visiting those spots after that historical events have happened. The living, um, the war, you know, Animal Rock, whatever, in mm-hmm. these different spots, and people keep going back. It, it kind of keeps that energy alive and keeps it going, keeps it a focal point. All right. Well, why don't we take a break now, uh, Matt, if that's cool with you? All right. We'll take a break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll have some more on the Bridgewater Triangle. And if you'd like to get involved, we're going to be here all the way till midnight, so feel free to call in 508-996-0500, 508 We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. I can't believe I'm letting you do this to me. I can't believe I'm letting you do this to me. Alright, welcome back into Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, the silent assassin Matt Costa working the boards and trying to uh, battle, what do you got, the flu? Get a cold? Dutch Elm's hmm? Dutch- disease. I just let him breathe on my microphone, so now I'm going to get it too. Alright, so uh, yeah, we are talking about the Bridgewater Triangle tonight, our annual Bridgewater Triangle show, and you know what, I promised the field teams out there tonight that have been kind enough to join us and poke around out in the triangle for us, that next year we'll try to schedule this show for like spring or summer when it's not going to be so cold out there, but we thank you for going out there. We are going to be getting live reports from out in the field. Uh, Our teams are out there getting situated now in various points throughout the Bridgewater Triangle. If you need to see a map of the Bridgewater Triangle to get an idea of what we're talking about, if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, we have a link to Chris Pittman's site, and I think we actually stole your triangle map. That's fine. Okay. I I think I stole it from somebody else. uh, At least when we steal things, we give credit for it. I mean, uh, it's sometimes uh, you get permission after the fact. It's still okay. I don't even steal. I just link to the person's site. And yeah, that that works too. Yeah. So and and so we have uh, information up there. We also have the film Inside the Bridgewater Triangle, the internet premiere of that movie, because uh, so many people were bothering Aaron Kadji for it. And I promise, I'm not going to butcher your name all through the. I was no, listening. That's, that's, you did a perfect job. You got the name right on the the dot there. Thank you. I was listening to uh, to the show from last year, and and I think it was. Maybe the eighth time I said his name, I finally said, you know what? Why don't you just say it? <laughs> and then from that it's point little, on... It's one of those crazy French names. It's a little tricky. No, it's it's actually... I shouldn't really butcher it that much because I've I've talked to your dad before, so it's kind of my problem uh, for not knowing how to pronounce it. But And, and you said that... Uh, you told me that still to this day you get a lot of requests for copies of that film. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I have s- films that are actually out in distribution, and still that... that particular film gets the most hits on the website and i get requests through email or through you know third parties all the time for copies of that film and unfortunately i, I actually released a, a letter and i put it posted it up on the new big operations productions website uh, bigoperations.com and you can read the letter that i posted there explaining why this film is not available for purchase for various copyright reasons or whatever but i also talk about how when i'm finished with the current film i'm working on the first Patriots, I'd like to revisit the Bridgewater Triangle and possibly remake the film. And, you know, because I've learned a lot as a filmmaker since that. I mean, I was, in, I was back in college when I made it, and I'd like to get more people involved 
you know, get the curses involved, get Spooky South, South Coast involved, and the Capers organization try to put something together uh, a little more in-depth and a little longer, perhaps. Well, we have faces made for radio, but we'll be glad to, to help <laughs> out wherever we can. But And plus, uh, even as great as that documentary is and as much as it touches upon a lot of the various reports, you're only really just scraping the surface of a lot of what's been said out there. That's that's definitely true. I mean, it doesn't talk about the red-headed hitchhiker mm-hmm. and it doesn't get into the black helicopters. And there's, there's a lot, I mean... It was really just, I almost view it as like a practice documentary, and I never expected it to get the, like, it almost has like a cult status among, you know, a little bit of a pun there, cult status, but... Uh, <laughs> the cults don't really like it, but... Uh, it, you know, it's it's generated some, some interest, and uh, I never thought it would have. You know, it was just almost like a practice thing, but um, it's kind of interesting that it has, and I've got to meet a lot of great people along the way. And, and we look at it as kind of a primer for a lot of the reports that are coming out of there. I mean, if you can watch this documentary, and like I said, you can watch it just by going to SpookySouthCoast.com, and if you watch it, you really get an idea of the background, the history of it. There's so much of the background information that it gives you what you need to kind of jump into today's Bridgewater Triangle. Exactly. That's that's exactly right. And so hopefully when you revisit it, there'll be all new reports that you can include as well. Yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, I'd like to get more talking heads and more eyewitnesses and things of that nature. There might actually be talking heads floating around out in the Bridgewater <laughs> Triangle. So Maybe it's we'll get true. some reports from it from our teams out there. And now you said you're working on a, on a new film right now, The First Patriots, and why don't you tell everybody what that's about? Yeah, I, I actually probably touched upon it last year. It's kind of a, it's a very in-depth uh, documentary on the history of King Philip's War, which ties into the Bridgewater Triangle, and uh, I've been working on it for over a year. I have about 20-plus hours of footage logged of visiting various locations across New England associated with King Philip's War, and I've interviewed some prominent historians and authors about the subject and uh, some professors, and I'm also working with the Nipmucks, the Wampanoags, and hopefully the Narragansetts as well on this project. So it really will be the first documentary of this in-depth on King Philip's War ever produced. As to my knowledge, there's only one other film in existence, and it's only 26 minutes. This one looking to be somewhere in the ballpark of an hour and a half to two hours. But I've had great cooperation from a number of parties, and it's just been really a uh, wonderful experience working on the film so far, and hopefully will be finished in 2008. Sounds like a History like, Channel special event to me. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, I don't know if I can aim that high. but <laughs> uh, You know, but it's it, like you said, though, it's, it's kind of like the Forgotten War. It's swept under the rug. And it's either the cause of a lot of what we're going to be talking about tonight, or it's just another aspect of the long history. I mean, not knowing the reports uh, that Native Americans had back then, it's either this bloodshed and this great tragedy that happened either contributed to the building of the paranormal activity there, or they were just so enamored by the activity there that they either stayed away from it or were drawn to it. I mean, I know that we've talked about Hockamock Swamp uh, being an, an Indian word for Devil Swamp. That's right, yes. A place where evil spirits dwell is how it's uh, often translated. And in and, and the reports and the activity that we've heard from back then, the Native Americans didn't really like to go in there either. No, that's uh, that's certainly part of the the legend of the Hockamock Swamp. Whether it's true or not, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we could really say. And that's like, you know, we hear reports, and, and I'm not trying to uh, dismiss anything here, but we hear reports about... People saying, you know, I get an Indian burial ground in my backyard. Uh, there's an Indian burial ground down the street from my house, and there's a lot of reports. It's all an Indian burial ground here. Right. Well, that's uh, it's kind of like what uh, what Chris mentioned, or what what you were talking about about the ledge and the rumors uh, and legends, the myth 
of the Native American connection there. And, and you almost have to ask yourself, what is it about these places that makes people uh, attribute this folklore to it, even if that folklore isn't based in reality? You mm -hmm. know, what, it's, there's something about these, these areas that people are, an energy that people are tapping into that makes them, you know, that kind of generates this, this folklore, this widespread acceptance of these legends that aren't, that aren't true. And during the course of the night, we'll get into some of the other reasons for why the Triangle might be such a strong area of activity, things that we've talked about in the past, but I think we need to revisit. Right now, we have a phone call, and I believe I know who it is, so let's throw Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good, and yourself? Hi, Derek. How are you doing? Good, Tim, and you good. Glad, uh, glad you could join us. I know that you are on your way to an investigation. Have you made it safely yet? Are you still en route? Yeah, we're going to know 20 minutes out to uh, Rockwood, Maine. We actually saw a couple of moose on the way up here. Oh, all right. Hopefully you uh, didn't narrowly miss them either. No, no. Right. That, that happened to me once. It was the scariest thing in my life. It's a, I'd rather hit a Mack truck than a moose, I think. Yeah, seeing the size of this one we saw, yeah, I definitely want to go for the Mack truck myself. And, uh, and you are the president and founder of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. Right. And, and in that capacity, you've uh, had a chance to visit the Bridgewater Triangle on a couple of occasions. Yeah, numerous occasions. Um, started actually with the first research into it uh, seven years ago. Um, after I, uh, Mr. Andrade, I read a story he, of a former investigator that used to do it. And when the team was formed, uh, that was my biggest thing because I grew up right outside of the Bridgewater Triangle. And, you know, doing it and actually physically finding these locations where stories come out of, you know, uh, the Hockamock Swamp, the areas of the Hockamock Swamp, um, when my team and I went out there, we actually we, we got the authorization to camp out there. Now, granted, uh, we were working with uh, Aaron Kadju doing a project uh, inside the Bridgewater Triangle, and it was a great experience just to be inside the Hockamock Swamp um, and inside the, the Triangle itself. Now, of course, everybody knows what the Triangle is, 200 square miles. But the center of the swamp, um, you know, where every everything is supposed to happen unfortunately the night we stayed there nothing happened but it was great outing and even yeah even if nothing does happen while you're out there it gives you a better idea of what it is that you're dealing with it gives you a first-hand experience out there to get acclimated so you can go out for future investigations yeah definitely um especially reports from other witnesses you can work <laughs> off other with with other teams um and follow their lead and find out and try to piece together what is a giant puzzle when it comes to hauntings and stories coming out of the Hockamock Swamp. Now, we're going to be checking in with uh, our four teams that are out in the Triangle tonight a little bit later on, but one of the people investigating, uh, Luann Jolly, is actually somebody you brought out to the Triangle for the first time. So hopefully uh, you've trained her well and she's going to be able to hold her own out there. Yeah, I, I showed Luann a few times. Uh, actually, a uh, couple of places inside the Bridgewater Triangle um, mm. where to you know visit and stuff like that. So I hope she's at a great location. Uh, she's out there with a with a scientist, a colleague of Matt Moniz's, Gabrielle Lawson. So hopefully, uh, they'll get some some good reports for us. And now, when you go out into the triangle, is there something uh, in particular, one report that draws you? I mean, being a a society of quote unquote ghost hunters, I'm sure you're drawn to some of the haunting activity. Yes, um, actually, it, it's the credible stories behind big furry creatures. Now, I'm not saying Bigfoot. I'm not saying, um, you know, some big furry creatures. Now, reports from state troopers and anything like that, um, you know, they, uh, I don't know, they're pretty credible for credible witnesses. Well, so, Matt, Matt Cost and I haven't been out there for months, so it's not us. 
Uh, it's well, di- you different know, you guys creatures. are always credible, though. That's the thing. No, I mean different furry creatures. They can't be us. Oh, yeah, because it does have to be warm so you guys aren't wearing your shirts. Yeah, exactly. No, we have been accused of being Sasquatches before, so. <laughs> I have, too. <laughs> You're even taller than we are, so I can understand. Now, uh, when you do go out there and you do uh, take teams out there, uh, what is probably the biggest challenge in investigating such an area as that? I mean, is it the size? Is it the, you know, the um, the vastness of the reports? It's the terrain itself. It it is the thickness of the swamp. Um, you know, during the summer months is the worst. You got the you got the bugs to fight against. You got the foliage to fight against. That's why I bring out teams mostly in the fall or the early spring when it's a little bit warm, so it's not too cold. And same with the fall, and we go into the swamps. Um, and that's also during the non-rainy season, so it's mostly fall that I like to bring teams out so you get a little bit deeper into the areas that haven't been kind of, they're off the beaten path and unexplored. So that's where we want to find, just to see if you can disturb something that hasn't been disturbed or possibly go into the nest, just to say, in an explored area. Hey, Derek, this is Aaron Kadju here in studio. Hey, Eric. I just wanted. I just wanted to uh, elaborate on something you just said. When we stayed out there uh, in August, it was you know dead of, dead summer, and uh, you could cut the mosquitoes with a knife. Really, I mean, I've never seen so many mosquitoes in my life. And uh, just to elaborate a little bit more on what you said, we were really, I think, almost on the outskirts of the swamp, and weren't really in the heart of the swamp. So when we say we didn't encounter anything paranormal, that could have something to do with it as well. Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Um, and that morning, if you remember, Aaron, do you remember the temperature? It got it. And this is in August. Remember the temperature with the frost? Oh yeah, it was it was it was quite a jump from day to night. That's for sure. Yeah, it was forty degrees that morning when we woke up, and this is in August. And we, of course, we were on the outskirts. Um, now that I have, I have a person I'm working on with my team that is the game warden for the, the division game warden for the whole area of Ridgewater that I actually got introduced personally, he has given me a, a, a map of trails that run through the Bridgewater Triangle. Excellent. Oh, in the swamp. So, you know, now I know where the heart is, Well, what well, they consider the heart. I had just, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go, I'm sorry, go ahead, I'm all set. Um, I had just said earlier that uh, hopefully when I'm finished with the film that I'm working on now, I, I'm actually interested in redoing the Bridgewater Triangle film, and hopefully we can work together again. Yeah, I just... Uh, it, it, I would. I'd love to do that. I just presented it last month at open meeting, and everybody liked it, of course. I, I always enjoy watching it, Aaron. It was great working with you. Well, it was a great working with you guys. I really appreciate it. And speaking of open meeting, you have another one coming up, Derek, in just a few weeks, right? Yeah, our buddy uh, Jeff Belanger, if no one knows him, he he's the uh, founder of ghostvillage.com, and he was just recently on the Maury Povich show. He'll be presenting uh, at our open lecture at the end of this month, February 23rd, at the Cape Cod Community College at 7 p.m., his presentation will be Our Haunted Lives. Um, it's a, it's a dark, uh, video and interactive with Jeff Belandra of GhostVillage.com. Right. It's free to the public. And uh, so you might want to get out there and check that out, and it's a great chance to meet Jeff. Uh, he, we've had him on the show. He's a very, he takes a very journalistic approach to what he's talking about, too. There's no bull when, uh, when Jeff Belandra is telling you a story. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jeff and I had spoke about it. This would be a great place to meet up with other ghost hunters. I, I know he's reached out to a couple other teams to come down and join in, like a Massachusetts, Rhode Island meetup. You know, with other ghost hunting teams is a big venue. So, 
I hope to, if, uh, that people can come out and enjoy the show by Jeff. All right, we'll keep getting the word out for you. And, and make sure that uh, you stay safe uh, on your investigation. Now, you said you're going all weekend with this one? Yeah, we're going up until uh, actually tomorrow afternoon. You know, and this is a case that's very unique. It came to us, and a little little uh, video sent to us of dolls flying and books opening and beds being t- tossed open. We'll keep you, uh, maybe we'll go and tell you a little bit more next time we talk to him. Sounds great. Now, it's a private residence? Uh, it's a cabin. Yeah, it's a residence. Okay, well, uh, hopefully the people aren't bothered too much by the activity, and hopefully everybody comes back safe. And I hopefully it's not a hoax either. So. <laughs> well, that'd be a long trip for a hoax. So. Yeah, but hey, it's well worth it. Got the team in the car. It's a great road trip. All right, thanks for joining us, Derek. Okay, Tim, thank right. you. Have a good night. Night. Derek Bartlett, the president and founder of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. You can visit their website at capers.com, and we'll... Keep you up to date on all their open meetings. Uh, once a month, they do have a free get-together at the Cape Cod Community College. We're, we're trying to get them to come over this side of the bridge for a few, too, as well. So we'll see what we can put together. Now, uh, Mike, you were saying that you captured some of these EVPs uh, in the Bridgewater Triangle area. So let's see if we can get to some of them, if uh, Matt has them already. Now, why don't you uh, kind of set up for us how you go about acquiring EVPs? Um, well, these recordings were made um, a little while ago before I got my more elaborate recording system, but um, uh, basically it's just a handheld recorder. Um, but I'm able to get a lot of stuff just from a simple handheld recorder. Um, as you'll see, all these were made from that. Uh, it's just a small Sony digital recorder. Um, and the frequency response on this probably isn't the greatest. Um, probably clips off the lower and higher frequencies. However, um, you know, you'll be able, you should be able to hear most of the stuff that's here. Um, so that's okay. all I had at the time of these recordings. Okay, well, let's play them, and then what we'll do is we'll play them so people can see what they hear, and then we'll tell them afterwards what you've determined it to be. Okay. Because they all come in with the same procedure. Okay, you want to play that one more time, Matt? Because they all come in with the same procedure. Okay, now what are we listening for there? Uh, listening for people singing, um, more of a choir effect, and you hear a woman say, "Cause they all come in uh, with the same procedure." Uh, she was just part of an investigation that we were having out in the swamp, but the can, edge of the swamp. You can hear that underlying. It's that. It's that. That. Um, yeah, that choir that's singing from the swamp. Um, there's no electricity out there. There's mm-hmm. there's nothing out there, and where did you know this the singing come from? Yeah, it doesn't sound like peeper frogs or crickets or anything like that. not at all. All right, why don't we go to the next one here? How nice this one is. It looks like someone might have been taking care of it. It's back to 1816. That's nice. All right, so we heard a a female voice uh, kind of in response to what you were saying. Yes, um, this was recorded in a um, very old cemetery going back to 1773. Um, the earlier stones, and we were just walking through it and um, just talking about the stones. And um, you can hear uh, it appears to be a girl saying yes really quickly, and then there's a woman that says yes right after that. And then uh, you, you say there's an EVP of who's in the car kind of at the end there? Uh, this is a, a different clip altogether. Okay, okay. I might be getting ahead of things here. So let's play another one here. And that was a male uh, uh, entity saying that. One more time, Matt. 
But you can definitely hear that. But you can hear the car. <laughs> a lot of times it's hard to make out EVPs when we're playing them in the studio, and it's like later on when I'm listening to the audio again that I hear them. But these stand out pretty well. Uh, move on to the next one, Matt. Very much explain that. Yeah, that's. It appears to be someone saying um, "woof" to a dog, trying to get the dog to uh, you know to speak to, to you know to bark, and then there's a there's a bark that follows it. So there's basically two barks, and there's seems like a uh, a younger person, maybe a, it's a female saying, um, you know, "Can you be a good boy?" Can play that one more time. You clearly hear that. Can you be a good boy? Yeah, that's, the, that's the, creepy. The wolves kind of get a little bit lost, but when you hear them fresh from the CD with a good set of headphones, it's a little bit more. Uh, and, and you say you can't tell if it's a dog or a person impersonating a dog. It, it's it's rough, you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of wind going through the trees, so it kind of uh, mixes in the the sound. A- animal or EVPs are something that we haven't really touched upon here, but it's actually becoming more and more of a frequent occurrence. These phantom animals or phantomals is as. They've been referred to. Joshua Warren actually wrote a book about it. We're going to have them on sometime in the future. And we'll get into some more of the animal EVPs. Why don't you uh, hit the next one, Matt? There's one over there from 1717. So we'll want to play that one more time. It's a little bit hard to hear. There's one over there from 1717. This this is kind of a classic example of a lot of the EVPs that I get. They're mm-hmm. very they're very windy. They have a lot of um, like reverb to them. Um, they kind of sound like they're in a big empty cement room, and that voice just even though it, it, it's like whispering, it just kind of it's it's just kind of very light. It's strong enough, but it's very light. Um, and this one, now I interpreted it as saying thank you. I'm not sure if it's saying idiot or not. <laughs> so I don't know if they're making fun of me. For recording them or not, um, then it says thanks and then thank you again. Thanks. It, it thank wouldn't you. be the first time that uh, we've heard an EVP of somebody being mocked. Yeah. So, <laughs> and a lot of times that's what happens when you go out there is you're disturbing uh, somebody's peace, and so they might get a little bit defensive. Absolutely. All right, Matt, why don't you? Now that one's uh, definitely – you can hear the beginning. Yeah. Uh, why don't you set that one up a little bit? Um, well, this the cemetery since it has such an age to it, seventeen seventeen, um, and this is Palmer River, which one of our team is actually heading out to tonight. Yep, um, great old old site up there um, where the cemetery is. But the, this female basically says, "Michael, look at thee," and the old old terminology, you know, look at says, "Look at me, look at thee," mm-hmm. which is pretty crazy, you know. Well, the fact that it also addresses you by name too. Yeah, yeah. Want to play that again, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a rhythm to it, Michael. Look at the, and I find rhythm to be, it must be an important factor with EVPs because I have so many that have rhythms to it. They're speaking, but it's in a rhythm. It's always music. It's a rhythm. It's a rhythm. It's not always just straightforward talking. All right, why don't we move on to the next one? And that one there. Uh, we haven't left. Play that one more time. You can we, see it does. It follows that 
that yeah. rhythm. See what I'm saying? And uh, next one. Oh, you can hear that pretty well. The goodbye. <laughs> one more time. It's deep into the recording as well, but um, you know the computer. You, know, you can clean these up a little bit better. They can make it more, you know. And is that what simple. you do? You run them through a, a process of these? I, I try not to. I try to keep them in their original state. Okay. Um, you can get some artifacts sometimes you're using noise reduction or uh, some of the other methods of trying to extract what you want. It might allow you to get what you need, but the the end result is going to be a more of a distorted and product. Sometimes than you just it, with. it needs that white noise to generate. You know, sometimes it is that hiss that helps generate the. And if you take it out, it doesn't sound as clearly as it does mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that environment. All right, well, let me play the final one here. Again, with some singing on the end there. Um, I've written down uh, there's, a, there's a low voice. It could be a male, I'm not really sure, but you take anybody's voice and lower it low enough, it mm -hmm. all sounds the same. It appears to say no rest. And then a female um, says, you like him, and then you won't let me know or you won't let me go. But it's it's being sung as well. And it is, you can hear it. It's definitely like a chatter underneath, uh, but it seems like they are in response to your presence being there. Yeah, and there was nobody talking at the time. Um, so it's not like somebody that's in our group. A lot. I'm sorry. Go ahead. A lot of times with EVPs, people will question them because they say it could be radio interference. It could be, you know, some sort of other conversation being picked up, however, through frequencies. Uh, but when it can actually respond to your presence or respond to questions that you're asking, it's a little bit harder to debate. Correct, correct. Especially with somebody talking, um, the human voice isn't going to really project across the football field and get into the recorder. You have to be in a close proximity, basically, for, for those small handheld recorders. They're not good for great distances. So mm -hmm. if we're in the room, and I know that nobody's talking while I'm making this recording, and it's a woman singing, the chances are that it's a woman singing. I mean, I tell people all the time when I talk about EVPs, the example I use is I'm a, I'm a sports writer by trade, and when I'm in a locker room with a bunch of you know, other reporters trying to focus around one athlete, I have a pretty good Sony digital recorder that I use. But still, even with it set to the highest setting, if I'm not right up there in somebody's face, I'm not going to get their voice. Correct. Yeah. So it, to have the voice appear on there, it has to be something relatively close. And if it's something you can't see, then it's, uh, it's certainly strange that it could get close enough to be imprinted on the recording. Exactly. The proximity is, the, uh, is, the key, is part of the key to getting really good recordings. Now, in your researchers, Chris, Chris, I mean, uh, is EVPs a lot of the reports that you get now as people are getting more savvy with uh, paranormal investigating? Do you get a lot of people saying, I think I have an EVP here and submitting it to you? You know, I, I don't really get any. Uh, most of the people, most of the emails I get start along the lines of uh, something happened to me. I went on the Internet to see if, if this happened to anybody else, and I came across your website, and it blows my mind. You know, so it's it's not so much people who are who are investigating things for themselves as much as it is people who have had something happen to them and now they're curious about it and they're looking for an explanation. And I know, Chris, with your site, masscrossroads.com, people try to use that as like a jumping-off point for investigations. Right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. A lot, I get a lot of emails saying that people have received EVPs. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, I never actually get them. Uh, <laughs> so it's always those people that I try to follow, follow up with and uh, they always say, oh, it got lost, or they stop emailing me. And so I have actually not until just now heard any really convincing EVPs from, from the Triangle. Well, we when we uh, started collecting EVPs, you know, minor league, bush league stuff, when we started doing the show, uh, we were at the point where we had to 
put them on the air and say to people, hey, take them out, extract them, see what you can do with them. And now as we've gotten a little bit more savvy, especially Matt Costa, who has just mastered like many audio programs, he's able to actually pull in. We're going to keep him awake here. He's, uh, <laughs> are you really that sick, man? I feel bad. I probably gave it to you. I was sick last week, and I kind of threw the whole load on him. But as we've captured them and we've been able to clean them up, and you realize the process of going through this, uh, that so many times it must be heartbreaking for people to think that they hear something and they go through the cleanup process and it ends up being nothing or something that's easily more explainable. I, I actually, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I actually get the uh, a lot of anti EVPs uh, with my own recording. I've uh, what I do, I do a lot of interviewing, and so I sit down with someone and I mm-hmm. and I have um, hours and hours of tapes that are completely blank uh, that were. I was recording an interview. I, I sat down. We talked. I checked. All the equipment was fine. And then I get it back, and all I get is a humming for, for 45 minutes. So oh. I, have a, I have a lot of examples of that. I've actually. had that also. You, I did an investigation, and we had uh, the, the person that we were interviewing was actually a, a professional uh, audio studio technician who had equipment to record his own interview himself. There was myself and another investigator, both with uh, handheld uh, tape recorders that we had used on many investigations that never failed, and at the end of the session, all three tapes were blank. Wow, <laughs> that is a that's the worst part too. Is when you are out there recording EVPs, and if there is a presence and it drains some of the battery, then all of a sudden you're out there for three hours, and you think you got three hours of audio to go back over, and you got nothing. That happened to me uh, last weekend at the Lizzie Borden house. I was letting it go. And I was trying to record while other people were walking around experiencing things just to see if I could pick stuff up. And all of a sudden, there was one point where the battery, fresh batteries, just died out. I was like, you know, great. I got the same thing at the Lizzie Borden house as well. So. Yeah, and it's a waste. Yeah. You know, it's, those AAA batteries are kind of expensive. You get those nice digital ones, and it's... it's well, that can be frightening, too. You know, you, you think that you're <coughs> investigating a, a paranormal, you know, phenomena, and all of a sudden it's... Uh, it's interacting with you. You find yourself investigating your own experience that just happened. It's 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 frightening. Sometimes. That become part of the story. Yeah. And that's you know being a writer. That's the one major thing they teach you first right away is keep yourself out of the story. But when you're dealing with this, like you said, you end up getting involved whether you want to or not. Uh, the last weekend we were hoping to go to the board and house just to try to chronicle the idea of Ron Millione and Brian Harnois taking people out on these trips. And we just want to talk to them about some of the equipment they were using and see what people were having experience. And then the report had gotten out that we had experienced something in the third floor chimney room, so everybody wanted to try it. And then we go upstairs and it happens again, and then instantly you become part of it again. And you know we were trying to avoid that, but unfortunately I think at certain times we were the only ones actually investigating over there. Everybody was kind of still just fascinated by meeting people and, and seeing some of this equipment. But I guess it is. If you're going to be the one that's going out there with the inquisitive mind – the only way to really convince yourself is to experience it yourself. Well, I, I suppose so, but it, it, it's interesting to think that somebody could uh, could have a lot to a lot to read about and a lot to write about if they investigated investigators and what happens to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of an odd occurrence too. I've had the exact same thing happen to me on different investigations. Batteries are dead, and all of a sudden you hear this huge static as you go into a certain room. You come out, it's gone. Everything's been erased. It's yeah, some strange strange things happen with electronics. 
I got lucky at least with my uh, with my digital camera. It sucked all the battery power out while I was there, so I couldn't take any pictures. But luckily, the next day when I turned it back on, it was back up to full battery power. So at least I some. yeah, at least I got something back because those were even more expensive those batteries. So I'm grateful when uh, the spirits want to do that for me. But it really was it was crazy. So many people were, you know, I brought enough batteries. I got plenty of brand new batteries, and then a half an hour later, because I, you know, I bought plenty. So a half an hour later, people are coming up to me. Can I borrow some batteries? Can I borrow some batteries? I'm like, told you. That's going to happen, you know? <laughs> whether it's actual paranormal activity draining the batteries, whether there's something electromagnetic going on at that location and it's draining the battery, it happens. And it's it's a sure sign that there's something definitely anomalous going on. And the other odd thing that I've gone on recordings is kind of this overwhelming buzz where all of a sudden it sounds like you're listening to uh, an interview, for example, in stereo, and then all of a sudden it drops down to mono, and all you hear is this this kind of like, mm, and it's over the person. You can't really hear what they're saying anymore, mm-hmm. and you're kind of, you know, straining to, to see what's going on. And and instead, all you've got is this very very loud humming, or or, in what was just a completely normal, uh, recording. All of a sudden, you start hearing the gears of the of the tape recorder. If you know, I use old fashioned ones as well as kind of digital, so. We get reports all the time from listeners who will post up on the message board or send us emails saying they were listening to the show. And they heard something in the background, and they heard some sort of noise, and then we have to explain to them, you know, like, that stuff happens right. all the time, right. that's just our <laughs> fault. I think that was, uh, we got one for my first show. Yeah, exactly. So, Somebody yeah, yeah. said that they heard something. And then people say, I heard a female voice in the background, like, we just heard while we were talking about EVPs, I don't know if you could hear it, in the background you could hear, like, a female voice, did anybody else catch that? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's just Dee Dee over in Fun 107 running back and forth singing along with the music she's playing, but people will hear that kind of stuff because... They're listening when we're talking about it. We're talking about EVP, so now people are listening extra intently so they might hear something that otherwise they would have just dismissed. And that's one of the major issues with EVP work. Well, we have a call here. we got about two minutes here, so let's see who's on the line. Good evening. You're on WBSM. This is Justin. Hey, Justin. How you doing? Hey, fine. Yeah, we just arrived at Profile Rock. Okay. Anything happen while you were out there? Uh, not just yet. We just arrived. We're just walking down the path now. But we're going to take some EVP samples and a few pictures. We've got a video camera, too. So Okay, well, we're about two minutes into the new, uh, up to the news. We're going to take a news break, and then in the second hour, we're going to check in with all of our teams and see what's going on out in the field. So we'll give you a call back. All right, thanks. All right, stay warm. Will do. That is Justin Mykoski, one of our uh, interviewers out in the field. Uh, Chris, you had a chance to meet Justin, an, an eager young man yeah, to learn more definitely. about the paranormal. Definitely gave me some really good uh, pictures of Profile Rock that he had gotten in some other places around Fall River and... And uh, I'm very interested to hear what he gets out there. And he is—he's uh, really into the Freetown State Forest. He's been out there many times, and uh, he is still learning what to look for and learning the signs of what to look for. But he's—he uh, we got him under the tutelage of Matt Moniz, <laughs> so that could be you know good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know how Matt Moniz can be. We call him the Rambo of the paranormal, do we, Matt? We do. Yes, we do. All right, so we are coming up on the news. Uh, And then what we'll do is we'll take the break for the news. On the other side, we'll be back at it for two more hours of Spooky South Coast. We'll probably get a lot of people calling in the second hour because they don't know we're on early. And uh, we'll check in with all of our field teams out in the Bridgewater Triangle to see what they're experiencing. And we will use our knowledgeable panel of Triangle authorities to question them to make sure we get them out into the right areas to know what they're looking for. And uh, we will hopefully get something while they're out there. I know... A lot of them are bringing along other investigative equipment as well, so what we might do is have them all analyze that and then in the coming weeks present some of that uh, evidence as we go along. So we'll be right back after the news with our number two 
of Spooky South Coast, our special annual Bridgewater Triangle show. Stay tuned. Where can you go to find hot homemade knitted items? How about Knit Bits? At knitbits.etsy.com. A new baby in your life? Need a homemade knitted item for a shower gift? The Knit Bits has you covered. Sweaters, bibs, booties, blankets, they've got it all. Want to be up on the latest trends? How about some of those funky, cozy socks everybody's wearing? Or knitted handbags and cell phone holders? If they don't have it at Knitbits, or if you want it in a different color, email them and they'll take care of you. That's knitbits.etsy.com. K-N-I-T-B-I-T-S dot E-T-S-Y dot com. Knitbits for all your homemade knitting needs. Good evening. Welcome back into Spooky South Coast, hour number two. And for those of you just tuning in at our usual start time of 10 o'clock, you're saying, hour number two? What have I missed? Well, it's our big three-hour annual Bridgewater Triangle show. We had to expand it to a third hour because it's just so much to talk about. Tim Weisberg here, Silent Assassin, Matt Costa in the studio. And we also have an all-star panel along with us. We have Chris Pittman of the original and probably the greatest Bridgewater Triangle-related website on the Internet, the most reports uh, documented and the most thorough investigations done. And we also have Aaron Kaju, director of Inside the Bridgewater Triangle, the first film on the phenomena. We have Chris Balzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads and a big part of the spooky crew. He's been with us a number of times already. We have Mike Markowitz of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted, a new cable access program airing in Bridgewater, and he's also got plenty of experience investigating the Bridgewater Triangle. We also have four teams out in the Triangle tonight. Four teams, a mixture of paranormal investigators, uh, listeners, scientists, and of course our own science advisor, Matt Moniz, is out there as well. We are going to check in with everybody out in the field in just a little bit. And if you did miss the first hour and you want to catch up on with what you've missed, uh, beginning tomorrow, if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, iTunes, wherever you get podcasts, we'll have it all up for you. As well as Aaron's film, Inside the Bridgewater Triangle, is now linked on our website and our original Bridgewater Triangle show from last year. So as you can see, we're trying to make this an event each year because it is such a unique phenomenon to our area and also because uh, we're pretty much the only show talking about it, really. And we need to get these reports out there so that people can know that what they've experienced there is not unique, that it has been going on for quite a number of years. And now, Chris, we had a, a call come in during the break, and it's somebody that you've been talking with. Why don't you let everybody know who it is that's on the line with us? Yeah, we have uh, a caller on the line. Uh, her name's Debbie. I first met Debbie in the 2000. Uh, she sent me an email and let me know that uh, at the time she was undergoing a, a whole host of really interesting phenomena. Uh, she had had a lot of experiences in her home where she was encountering uh, what seemed to be some kind of uh, entity what, and uh, had experiences what 
people are familiar with as the uh, the alien abduction experience, where it seemed that she was having some uh, encounters on board UFOs uh, together with her sister. And uh, I met with her and her sister several times, and uh, I found their story to be really credible and, and very, very much uh, authentic. And uh, let's let's see what she has to say. Okay. All right. There you go. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. Thank you for calling in. Hi. Hi. And you want to share some of your experiences with us? Yes, I do. Okay. Chris, I'll let, I'll let you handle this because sure. you've got experience talking with her. Well, thanks a lot for calling, Debbie. Uh, you have a really amazing story, and, and I think it's great that you're willing to go uh, in, on the radio and, uh, and share this with us today. Yeah, well, I think people should know. Well, uh, we've been talking, obviously, about the, the Bridgewater Triangle. Now, you, you lived within the Bridgewater Triangle area for, for quite a while, if I remember Yes, correctly. I did. And I, I know that uh, decades ago you, you had uh, a UFO experience in Lakeville? Yep. Now, I thought that that was a really interesting report because that's typical of a lot of reports that I that I receive. It's very similar to a, a lot of what I'm hearing. Why don't you just, if you could talk about that a little bit. Well, um, I, I have been um, abducted for, for, since I can remember, when I, when I grew up in Ohio. Um, I lived a lot of part of my, my life in Ohio, Athens, Ohio, and it started, I started remembering it then, um, but when I, when I moved into, I moved into Bridgewater first, and, uh, it, it just kept continuing there, and Lakeville, I, I was there, and it's, it's just escalated, um, among the years, um, Freetown Forest, um, I've been drawn to and attracted to for, for many years for various reasons, um, between Freetown occult activity, um, and abductions um it's been it's it's been an ongoing thing in my life it's pretty much normal for me um it's i i think if it if it didn't happen i'd be worried what but, kind of uh what kind of things were you experiencing inside the the freetown fall river state forest there um well it's it was it was various things between abductions uh waking up um, in the Freetown Forest and not knowing how I got there, um, going there purposely in my car and uh, thinking about dogs, wolves, things like that, and them appearing in front of me. Um, that happened various, numerous times. Um, I did work with um, Detective Alan Elf in the Freetown Forest also um, with, with various things that went on. I mean the the cult activity actually. I, there was some uh, some cult activity on the property where you lived, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yep. Yep. That that happened. I had uh, various um, people in my yard. Um, they were taking dumps in my my backyard and in my dad's boat, uh, shooting off guns, um, coming in the in the back of of my yard, and my neighbors and everything getting involved, but. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I, I got involved with the Freetown Police Station and that, and, and getting out of it and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I, I remember uh, years ago we were doing a, a regression, a regression hypnosis session where yes. you were kind of reliving some of the uh, the UFO abduction encounters that you had had undergone, and yep. uh, while you were you were recalling something traumatic. 
laying there on the couch with, with no one else near you, uh, two huge bruises appeared on each side of your face. Uh, yeah. That, that was the scariest thing I ever saw in my life. That was yep. just, I was terrified. Oh, I, mean, I, re- I remember seeing you. Yeah, it was, I, I must have looked, yep. I, I can't even imagine what I must have looked like. That was really frightening. Yeah, but uh, it scared the hell out of me, too, thanks. <laughs> but, yeah, um, like I said, when I, when I woke up, it was like just waking up from it. Um, I don't know. And like I, I, I do have, I don't know if you still have the, uh, the pictures of the indentations in my forehead and everything else. I do. You know, I, I was yeah. really impressed by the amount of evidence uh, that, that you and your sister have in that case. And, uh, you know, I, I really look forward to, to talking to you again soon and going over those files and uh, maybe getting an update and seeing what's been going on with you lately. Yeah, well, uh, it's it's going to be an ongoing thing. Um, like I said, you're welcome up to where I am now, and I look forward to seeing you again. That'll be great. All right, well, uh, I know we have a lot more stuff we have to get to tonight, but I, I do want to say really thank you for calling in and uh, right. sharing that with us. I appreciate it. Yes, thank no you very problem. much. We'll have to have you on sometime, too, when we can talk at length about some of these experiences as well. You, okay. and, you and your sister. Okay. All right, thank you very much. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. And if you have had any personal experiences uh, out in the Bridgewater Triangle that you would like to share, 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500. And, uh, of course, you'll, you won't find any more ready group of people willing to believe what you have to say, at least, uh, at, least at the beginning, and then we'll wade through from there. But uh, so many people have had experiences, uh, and they don't really, you know, driving down Route 24, seeing these mysterious lights, uh, you know, being out in the woods, hearing things out in the woods, and they're afraid to come forward because... It sounds crazy. I mean, Chris, how many times, are, either one of you, Chris, do you get emails from people, reports from people that start off, you're going to think I'm crazy? Sure, sure I do. And I get a lot of, uh, a lot of anonymous and second, you know, second to third person type reports because people are really hesitant to come forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're, they're faced with uh, what we call the giggle factor where people, they're, they fear ridicule. And uh, so they're, they're hesitant to come forward a lot. And, and like Chris mentioned, uh, sometimes they'll come forward years later when they feel like they're ready to talk about it. Of course, that can be really kind of a, a tragedy for us as investigators. Because yeah, by then the, the trail is cold, but sure. it, it, they do have to get through it themselves and feel comfortable with what their experience was before they can even talk about it. All right, well, part of tonight's show is that we have teams out in the field, and we've given them enough time to get out there, get situated, maybe have some experiences, so we're going to start checking in with them. And right now we're going to check in with the North team, uh, Spooky South Coast Science Advisor Matt Moniz and John Horrigan of the Mass Monster Mash. They are out there uh, in search of Bigfoot and other anomalies. Uh, Matt, are you with us? Yes, I am, too. All right, what's going on out there? Uh, Not much. We did a little reconnoiter of... Uh, Bird Road and Bird Hill, where the 1971 incident with Officer Downey occurred, where a large 12-foot wingspan uh, bird landed in front of uh, Officer and uh, then departed. Uh, the area that we found is right at the border where he indicated that this incident occurred. Um, we found an interesting correlation with what he was talking about because there are some large power lines that run through the top of the hill in that area. And that would make sense for a large bird to follow a cleared flight path along a, uh, a prominent peak. So, so, I mean, in search of prey? Yes. And uh, and so uh, what are your some of your targets while you're out there tonight? Uh, we, uh, we, we did, obviously, the 
area I just told, talked about. We're also uh, up in Nipponekid Pond or Lake, as it would be called. Uh, we're going to be checking about number of areas there. And what, I'm sorry, while you're out there, you're looking for uh, EVPs and and uh, photographic anomalies, anything like that while you're out there? Right. Uh, we also stopped at a uh, field where they're in they're Eastern, where the John Horgan had seen a puma about six years ago. There was also a uh, bear sighted in this area, a number of uh, coyotes. Now, what's interesting is pumas and bear, although they are indigenous to Massachusetts, they're not generally indigenous to the eastern part of Massachusetts. So there has been a new number of reports of, you know, Puma in this area, roughly about 75 in the past 50 years. But they don't think that is a, a large enough breeding population, although they do find hair and scat and other remnants to indicate that there at least is something out here. Okay. And uh, you will keep us up to date. If anything does happen, don't wait for us to call you. Uh, not a problem. All right. Well, stay safe, and we'll check back in in a little bit. All guys. All right. Tell John we say hello. You got it. <laughs> All right. And that is our north team, Matt Moniz and John Horrigan. They're out there uh, on the northern side, and as I said, they're going to try to work their way backward. Uh, they're trying to cover, I think, the most ground than any of these other teams, well, because it's Matt and John. So, And if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be them. So uh, we'll try to check in with some of our other teams, too, as well. Uh, now, these these Puma reports that have happened, I mean, if is that something that's paranormal? In nature, if they find out that there are indeed small populations of puma that are existing in this area? Well, it's it's tough to say. Uh, no one's ever, to my knowledge, uh, trapped one of these animals mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, none have been killed. Uh, there's, not, there's not necessarily uh, proof in, in most cases when these sightings come in. And uh, one, one could argue possibly that it might be a paranormal manifestation. And if it's not a paranormal manifestation, I think it's interesting to note that... Uh, you know, with these large carnivorous animals uh, roaming around out there, undetected, that have never been trapped, is it possible that there could be some kind of hairy hominid out there as well? Maybe that's even uh, even more elusive, maybe even a smaller population? Could it be? I mean, it, it is strange when you look back at the history of some of the reports. Uh, usually these areas where there's high UFO sightings, uh, a lot of paranormal activity, that's where Bigfoot is usually linked to. That's right. And, and I personally, uh, based on my experiences, I tend to discount the idea that there really is some kind of species of you know, hominid living in this area that's unknown to science. Uh, I tend to think that the, that the Bigfoot sightings are, are, are actual reports, you know, credible, believable accounts of a, of a paranormal experience. And, and you think that these are all kind of tied into a, a, a last time you hear you call it an agency a, yeah, a higher, uh, not a higher, a, a different type of. That's uh, right. It's it's a it's a non human. My, my belief, as I've said before, is that uh, these are all manifestations of the same non human intelligence based on this planet, uh, about which we know nothing. But if there were indeed, you know, pumas out there and and some of these stranger creatures, it would be a, a zoological wonderland if it turns out that there are creatures that aren't indigenous to Massachusetts or this part of Massachusetts that are surviving and thriving out in that area. Well, well, that's right. And I, I think a lot of the people listening probably don't realize just how remote some of the areas that we're talking about really are. 
Uh, I have some aerial photographs of some of these areas that I that I hope to possibly get up on my website at some point. And uh, seeing these aerial photographs, it really makes it easier to understand how how these reports could could be believable and could have a basis in fact. Just to elaborate a little bit on what Chris is talking about, a good way to get an idea of the area that we're talking about is if you go to Google Maps and click on satellite imagery mm -hmm. and integrate it with actual maps, you can get an idea of where the highways cross in the Hockamock Swamp area. And you can just, from the bird's eye view with the satellite view, you can really see that it's just complete greenery. And there's, you know, there's areas where there's not houses for miles and miles and miles. So it just gives you an idea of how large of an area we're talking about, how dense of a forest we're talking about. And there's probably sections of the Hockamock Swamp that hasn't, haven't seen humans for centuries. I mean, there, that's the unfortunate nature of it is you hear us talking about it, and if you're not really familiar with the area, you're like, well, gee, you know, there's two highways, major highways that go through this area. There's all kinds of back roads and different routes. How much land out there can be uncharted and can be uninhabited at this point in time? But I think the fact that it is so dense and so uninhabited is what helps build uh, the credibility and the frequency of some of these reports. So, all right, we have another team uh, on the line. Which team are we going to be checking in with, Matt? We are going to check in with the South team, which are the members of Haunted Paranormal Research Society. Uh, how are you doing, guys? Hey, good. How are you? All right. Who are we, who are we talking to? Uh, you got Brian St. Pierre on the phone. All and right. in the car with Haunted uh, is the two co-founder and the founder and co-founder of Bud Prater and Brian Bell. All right. And where are you guys right now? Well, we just left the Hornbine School, and we had uh, quite a bit of activity there. We really? had a really good trip. Yeah. What, what kind of goings on? Um, well, the history behind the Hornbine School, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, evidently a school teacher was taking a walk, and she just moved to the neighborhood. And being a teacher, she wanted to check out the old school. Story has it that she looks into the window and sees a teacher dressed uh, in clothing right around, you know, the 1800s, and she's teaching a class full of children in the same time period. The teacher inside looks back at her with a scowl on her face like she interrupted her class. She's thinking maybe a teacher and students are doing a reenactment, and she goes to look back, and they're gone. So that's the story behind the Hornbine School. Now, tonight when we got there, we started snapping pictures, um, got quite a few orbs in our pictures, and one that I took, my third picture, I have a mist in it, and I'd love to show it to you guys and uh, get your opinion on it. No, absolutely. We're going to we're gonna put it up on our website, and hopefully I'll be up and running. Hauntedprs.org. And we have it linked through our site, SpookySouthCoast.com, as well. Yes, you do. And uh, so now where are you headed uh, after that? Right now, I think I'm a little lost, but we're trying to make our way to the Shad Factory Pond. Um, story behind that place is an old pond, I mean an old mill on the pond. A woman walking her dog sees a figure down by the factory, so she goes to walk over there and introduce herself. And supposedly the guy just vanishes right in front of her. Um, that's just about all I know about that story, so we're going to go check that place out. And while, while we have you on the phone, because we haven't really uh, had you guys on the show yet, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about Haunted? All right, uh, Haunted Paranormal. Um, why don't I give you the phone to Brian Bell, with our founder, and uh, he can give you the story. Sure. All right, hold on. Here's Brian okay. Bell. You're on the hand. Yeah, well. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you for having us. Oh, no problem. And, and we were looking for some uh, good investigators that would take a no-nonsense approach uh, to helping us out tonight. And, of course, Haunted first on the list. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. That's our uh, definite goal. That's our founding principles, and that's how we operate every time we go out. Why don't you tell everybody a bit about the organization? Because you're a little bit different than most paranormal groups. Yes, we are. We, uh, we take a purely scientific approach to the paranormal investigation, which is a bit of a paradox because, by definition, paranormal means not scientifically explainable. 
However, we are trying to change that. We believe firmly that there is definite paranormal activity, you know, a whole range of it. Um, I'm sure everybody, all the other groups out there agree with me on this, and we're just looking for a way to bring positive proof to our field and uh, a lot of credibility to not just our field but all the hardworking teams out there that, that deserve it. And also, uh, you have a, a – I don't know if you want to talk about your background, about your day jobs, but it's a – it's a little bit more, uh, like I said, no nonsense. In your oh preference. no, absolutely. We we incorporate a lot of our principles in society, the way we operate our lives, and including our day jobs, and we have our our training and our morals and uh, everything else to to assist in that. Uh, myself and the and the and the co-founder Bud Prater were both police officers. The one of the other investigators and case manager you just spoke to, Brian St. Pierre, he's a police officer as well. Um, and we generally our membership consists of people that have. Uh, education and or experience in a related field. And I have to say related because there isn't really a, it's not exactly a college course out there that I'm aware of in paranormal investigation. So we have to do what we can do to, we basically recruit people like uh, professional photographers. We just, John Gomes is our newest appointee to the group. He's a professional photographer. We have people with uh, computer education and background. We have people with investigation experience. Um, uh, scientific research, uh, historical research, and we, our group is founded on, on different divisions that covers all of those areas as well. We do thorough, we do a very thorough, uh, historical background on check on, on investigations that we have, and, uh, we try to pull up as much information as possible so we can go in there armed with a little bit of information, a little history on the place. Um, and it helps us put the pieces of the puzzle together, so to speak. Brian, this is, uh, Chris Balzano. How are you today? Tonight? Hi, Chris. How are you? Good, good. Um, if you guys are heading out to the Shade Factory Pond, you might want to try uh, both sides of the pond. Um, both sides the, of the pond. Yeah, Roger. where the um, remains are, and then also on the other side of that, because there is, um, in the uh, New England Ghost Files, there are stories from both sides, and uh, my group was actually able to uh, get some uh, some evidence from the so, away from the, the the mill itself, actually, like on the other bank of the... The pond. On the pond so, yeah, itself, you might yeah. want to try both places when you. you oh, absolutely. There. We we plan on we plan on uh, covering the entire area okay. once we get there, and we're gonna be, we're using um, pretty high tech equipment tonight. We've got uh, well, I just got a new Canon S3 digital camera. We've got a Sony Handycam hard drive digital camera, a few other high quality digital cameras with us, um, digital thermometers, all pretty pretty much the standard stuff. So we're gonna our goal tonight is we're gonna go over there and take as many pictures and video clips and readings as possible, and uh, go back, put it together, and see what we can find. And then if there's anything that we do find, we're going to be uh, putting it up on our website for everybody to enjoy. Excellent. All right, well, thank you, Brian. We'll, uh, we'll check back in with you in a little while, and if anything goes on uh, before we do, f- feel free to call us back. Hopefully the, the number showed up on caller ID. Uh, let me verify if the number did show uh, yeah. Can't read that one over the uh, uh, That's the VIP line. Oh, sorry. sorry <laughs> no problem. All right, so uh, we'll check back in with you. Give us a call if anything should happen, and stay safe out there. Yep. Right, okay, thanks. well, we look forward to hearing from you very, very soon. All right, talk to you in a bit. Bye-bye. All right, we are going to take a break, and then we'll check in with some more of our teams out in the field. Uh, forget those numbers if you just heard them. And we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Oh! Who said I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. You sure are looking good. You're everything a big bad wolf could want 
that bumper on purpose oh man because we do have uh, a couple of little red riding hoods out walking around in the woods all by themselves and you know listen to me i sound like i'm dismissing the idea of women in the paranormal research field but of course i'm not we are big supporters of women in the field and we have two out there right now we have uh gabrielle lawson and luann jolly uh, a couple of listeners and slash paranormal investigators slash scientists and they've definitely got the credentials to be out there in the field how are you tonight we are doing great. All right, and we have Luann on the phone, and, and Gabby's driving? Gabby is driving. Tell her we say hello. They say hello. Hello. And hello. where have you guys been to already? We have just gotten out of Ames Pond at the Stonehill College looking for Sarah Ames, and now we are heading down Route 44. We're looking for a hitchhiker. You're going to pick up the red-headed hitchhiker. We are going to pick up that red-headed hitchhiker. You know, we tried it before with uh, Matt Moniz and John Horrigan a few months back, but I don't think they would be nearly as appealing to a hitchhiker to get into the car with than, than you two are. Well, that's what we're hoping. I mean, if, I, if, if a car pulled up to me with Moniz in the driver's seat, I'd be like, I'll take the next one. <laughs> so uh, now, what happened when you guys were out at the pond? Did you have any kind of experiences or... Ah, well, we did have the big, booming pond noises. They're probably going to sound like demon growls on the EVPs, but that was pretty interesting. (laughs) Now, what are some of the reports uh, surrounding that pond? Uh, They see mists out there, um, a blue mist or fog, I guess, over the pond. Um, That's the site of the uh, president of the college's daughter drowning in that pond, Sarah Ames. And so when you were out there, that was your hope was to try to encounter her? We sure hope so. We did We did video out there. We have a lot of pictures to go over. Uh, we were taking EVPs also. Um, no sign of any EMS out there. And now when you're out in the Route 44 area, uh, you're going to be looking for other things as well as a hitchhiker? Uh, yes, we are. We're going to be looking for black helicopters and anything else we see. We just might see a Bigfoot out here for all we know. That's probably just Moniz. And uh, just to add, there's also a um, there's also a story of a that I'm, I'm unable to confirm of a uh, small engine plane going down in that uh, in that pond, and the, the mist great. somehow being connected to that. And it, it, the mist happening uh, often on the anniversary of the crash, but Cas- casualties in to, the crash, right? Yes, and I've been able to confirm that story. Um, but that's kind of like the, the, the genesis of the whole uh, mist in the pond and, and why it's haunted. About how long ago was that crash, you remember? Uh, they, about 20 years ago, which is always a very uh, telling thing when people have a, a legend and it happened 20 years ago because it's always just far away enough that you can't exactly. really get anything <laughs> solid on it. 20 years ago, right before your library started keeping archives right, of this right. stuff. Yeah. And, it, it, and it happened two towns over all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they heard it from their cousin's brother or sister, too. Although, you know, I've, I've um, recently kind of started collecting many, uh, many more Stonehill College stories, and it's uh, one of those things we're actually just talking off the air about some kind of weird synchronicity when, when you need something to happen or when you don't want something to happen, it, it kind of either doesn't or, or does. And uh, it's the same kind of thing. I got one report from Stonehill College. I started um, when I was doing the Monster Mash talking about expanding the Bridgewater Triangle and kind of going into more of the ghostly stories, and I covered Stonehill, and all of a sudden I was talking about it and the woman I worked with 
is from Stonehill, and my friend teaches there. And then all of a sudden, I started getting all of these emails about myths and legends from the from the college, and also, you know, true hauntings that are supposedly happening there as well. So it's I'm getting right now kind of this avalanche of Stonehill College stories. So. All right. Well, uh, we will be sure to check back in with you, and if anything happens, just give us a call. We certainly will. All right. Stay safe. We will. Talk to you in a bit. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut her off. I cut her off all the time. She's used to it. I did it last week as well. So It's interesting that you mentioned colleges because uh, there's a lot of reports, especially if you go to the shadowlands.net, which is uh, pretty much like the amateur paranormal investigator's handbook to trying to find some of these reports. Uh, and some of them can be dismissed. Some of them have been long-standing uh, urban legends. But there are a lot of reports of verified hauntings. And one of the biggest ones is Bridgewater State College has numerous reports there. And another one was Westfield State College. And I'm fortunate enough to know a young lady who went to Westfield and is now transferred to Bridgewater State. So she's going to try and see if she can get some people uh, on the record that are willing to talk to us and maybe let us get in there to try to check out some of these reports. And, of course, we invite anybody to come along with us as well because there are so many. And But my personal belief is that when you have a bunch of college kids all lumped together living, you know, it's kind of kind of one person just has to say they experienced it and then ten people are going to say they experienced it and it's just going to catch fire like that. It's funny because uh, I teach at a, uh, at a high school out in Lawrence and there's, as far as I know, no paranormal activity there. But one of the uh, the people in the English department decided, well, we can't be a real school. The school's only been in existence for three years. We can't be a real school until we have a haunted tradition. <laughs> so she actually invented this uh, whole story of this woman, of this little uh, teenage girl who died on the, the third floor, which is kind of a uh, fourth floor, which is kind of a balcony of the school. And I've gotten more reports from students of seeing odd things and, or, or hearing things rolling down the stairs when they're not supposed to be there. And we're actually, I'm actually teaching a course uh, um, in uh, paranormal investigating to my students, and we're going to be going up there and investigating. But I know that it's completely fake, but it's, <laughs> it's almost as if you, know, you need that kind of tradition. You need to kind of have that bond, that story to talk about, to pass down, to scare freshmen, to... Well, to unify the student body. Somehow. There there are reports, uh, and a lot of paranormal investigators do cite these uh, cases. I, I forget the exact name. Uh, I know it's a, an Indian word. and I mean India over in Indians from India, not Native Americans. Uh, it's, there's an Indian word for it uh, in Buddhism where you can actually create a spirit by enough people talking about it and, and believing in it. And I know that a lot of the reports that have happened around here, people have questioned whether or not that was the case because – this area is so old and so rich in the history of this kind of stuff that if enough people talk about it, then people are going to go and experience it and legitimately experience it, not just thinking that they did. So maybe that is what plays into a lot of this as well. Yeah, I, I believe that very firmly. I think that uh, my, my personal belief is that these manifestations are there to be seen, and they are there to be seen when people are there to see them, and the uh, they it's in order to create a certain idea to make people feel a certain way. So if that type of folklore exists, if people believe it, then manifesting itself in a way that ties in with these legends and with this folklore, I think that's kind of part of the way that this intelligence operates. And it's, it certainly would be the case uh, in the triangle where so many people are going out there looking for these experiences and come back with proof, proof positive. So. Just to jump on the uh, back on the college thing, mm -hmm. I mean, not being that far removed from college myself, it seems like every college or university has that dorm room where the girl died or mm -hmm. the kid hanged himself or, 
you know, something happened where, you know, no one wants that room because, you know, they wake up and their bed sheets are strangling them or something like that. So it just seems like every college has a little story like that. I mean, it could be urban legend, too, but, I mean, let's face it, with college kids and the way that things go, it is quite possible that there are legitimate backgrounds to these reports. And I'm sure, Chris, you've investigated some of them. Uh... Well, I lived in Charlesgate, uh, the Charlesgate Hotel in Boston, which is, you know, an excellent uh, source for folklore, but I can tell you, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's also one of the most haunted buildings in Boston. So what happens is is that um, whether it's you're perceiving uh, things differently because, you know, the viewers uh, see things as they want to see them, um, but definitely there was a ton of activity there and a ton of stories which had nothing to do with the activity that was real, that were being passed down. So it's kind of the convergence of those two things in a lot of these places. And ho- hopefully uh, with some of these reports that are out there in these colleges, as people become more savvy about what's going on, they can give them a little bit more research uh, before they report them. And it, it, I'm assuming that it can't be that hard to get some of the background. I mean, we've talked about here in the past, you know, UMass Dartmouth, for years, the story was that it was, you know, uh, designed by a Satan worshiper and that the whole shape of the building is to be some sort of temple to Satan, and that's why there's 13 stairs in every staircase and, and all that. And, and it just took a little bit of Internet research. It took me maybe five minutes to find out but that's not the case at all. That the guy was a contemporary of Frank Lloyd Wright, and that is how you account for a lot of the design and structure of it. But and often when you're investigating, uh, especially college hauntings, you get the classic tagline: "The college, you know, covered it up." Oh yeah, I, you absolutely. Know, they didn't want they didn't want uh, admissions to go down. The president decided that, in the best interest of anybody, pay off the relatives, and everything was covered up. Well, that's why uh, that's why at UMass Dartmouth, when the um, designer of the building, when the architect of the building climbed to the top of the camper iron needle and jumped off and killed himself, uh, they created this story about it being a different designer. You know, the poor guy that actually did the work died in, I think, 2002 or 2003 of cancer. So, you know, this is just the front guy that they put in there since then to cover up the original architect. These are just the stories that you hear. And speaking of stories, we're going to check in with our East team in just a moment, but we have another call on the line, so let's take that one first. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hello, Tim. It's Keith. Hi, Keith. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I want to show my support to the boys out in the field there. Well, thank you. They're probably freezing. I would think they are probably freezing quite a bit by now. But uh, have they come across anything yet? Uh, so there have been some reports of uh, some mists being photographed and uh, some strange sounds. So we'll, uh, we're going to try and get all this evidence together. We have the, the boys from Haunted were out at the uh, Hornbine School, and they encountered some activity. Uh, what, what kind of activity did they encounter? They captured the mist, and, uh, and then over at Stonehill College, our Southwest team had experienced some noises down near the pond there. But it might have just been pond noises. Yeah, of course, then uh, the Hockamock Swamp is an 8,000-year-old burial ground on Grassy Island, uh, so uh, Lauren Coleman seems to uh, point to that direction. I don't know if anybody's going to be crazy enough to go into the swamp tonight, but with Moniz and Horrigan out there together, you never know. Right. You never know what to expect with those guys. And but I th- wish them luck, and uh, our prayers are with them. All right. Well, thank you, Keith. While we have you on the phone, why don't you uh, remind everybody about your class coming up at uh, South Coast Learning here in New Bedford. Yes. It is this Friday the coming Friday of uh, this coming week, the 16th, and it will commence at 7 p.m., and it's going to be a lot of fun and very informative, so I hope uh, I hope you all show up. Everybody shows up. We highly recommend it. We've, uh, we've been in it's just an outstanding presentation and outstanding evidence presented as well. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tim, very much, and we're looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks for checking in, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care now, Tim. Have a good one, Keith. Bye-bye. 
Keith Johnson, demonologist and founder of New England Anomalies Research. We'll be teaching his class at South Coast, Coast Learning in New Bedford. Go to his website, nearparanormal, N-E-A-R, paranormal.com, for more information. And they also have the episode up where Matt Moniz was on his show, Ghosts Are Near. And you can download that and watch it as well. And, uh, you know, the, what you expect from, from Matt Moniz. <laughs> he, is, uh, he shows no fear, no restraint. But at least this time, he wasn't attacked like he was the last time he did cable access. So, All right, let's check in with our East team out in the field. Uh, Justin, are you with us? Hello? Justin, are you out there? All right. They may they may have, have succumbed to some kind of a Sasquatch creature. Uh, that may be true. Either that or a lack of signal. <laughs> I told them, I said, listen, whatever you do, because they were going to be heading out to Profile Rock, whatever you do, I know you're going to get better reception if you do it. Don't climb to the top of the rock in the dark. Uh, I can just picture him trying to do that. I have uh, one thing that I myself would like clarified, and I don't know if any of the people on the panel here could clarify this for me. It seems like there's two different locations that are attributed to being the Grassy Island Burial Ground that was just mentioned. One of them I've heard is Grassy Island Burial Ground, which is in the middle of the Hockamock Swamp. But in my film, the Grassy Island Burial Ground that's featured was on an island uh, right across from where Dighton Rock is in uh, Dighton Rock State Park. And uh, I had a historian slash uh, physician named uh, Dr. Luciano Da Silva from... Uh, Bristol, Rhode Island, who said that the Grassy Island burial ground was, in fact, on the island across from Dighton Rock. So that's just something I find an interesting, you know, I don't know which one's the right Grassy Island, if they're both Grassy Island, and if they were both, in fact, burial grounds. I just find that interesting. Guys, in your research? Yep. I don't I don't know. Uh, the particular one that has been written about where they, uh, the excavation showed uh, some strange paranormal manifestations, I'm not sure exactly uh, where that was, but... Like you said earlier, Tim, really, the, the, this whole area is, a, is an Indian burial ground. Exactly. You know? The evidence I've gotten uh, back to Baron. Okay. So. All right, let's check back in with our East team. Justin and Crystal, see if they're out there. Signal. Um, uh, yeah, we're on, we're on the radio, Justin. Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry. No problem. Pardon that. That's all right. We almost got the chance to use a dump button there. So, How are you? Uh, you're out in the Freetown area. Where exactly are you? Yeah, we're um. Right by Profile Rock, we got lost a little while ago trying to find a cemetery. Um, it seems like, if you look at the Profile Rock, um, the Freetown State Forest maps with all the cemeteries, you can't really find them, really. Well, and we didn't have any luck finding them, at least. Is that because they're smaller cemeteries, or is that are they not uh, municipal cemeteries? Yeah, but, yeah, possibly. Actually, the, the maps show them. Uh, Justin, this is Chris Balzano. Oh, hey. Hey. Um, the maps show them, and they seem to be, like, right on the road or right off the road as if you would be able to see them, but they're actually further in. Okay. So it's actually... Yeah, there's, like, a stone wall over them, too. So if it's virtually impossible to find them in the dark, if you don't know where they are and you haven't seen them in the light, but it's kind of... in the, During the daytime, they're much more uh, much more accessible. Now you're having... Yeah, scope the area out ahead of time. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, one thing we would definitely recommend to people heading out there, especially for the first time. At least Justin's been there a couple of times already, but if you are going to head out to these areas, definitely do so in the daytime first so you have an idea of where you're going. Yeah, definitely. Now, have you had any experiences while you're out there? Or? Um, nothing personal, but Lauren did on her camera. I know orbs nothing big, but she did get another large quantity of orbs, about right. 12 of them or so. Lauren was able to join you as well? Yeah, she's there with me. Okay, so you have Laura, uh, Lauren and Crystal with you? I have Lauren, Crystal, and Crystal's parents, actually. We had a family trip. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing brings a family closer together like the uh, Freetown <laughs> State Forest. 
So and, and so, you're gonna look for some more of these cemeteries. You're gonna head back uh, t- toward the forest. Uh, what's your plan? Yeah, well, I'm gonna look for some cemeteries. We're actually debating to go to Oak Grove Cemetery. We oh. found that on the GPS. It's only seven miles away. Okay. We're debating that. Well, uh, all you need to do is just go where uh, where your investigation leads you. All right. Watch out for the cults. Yeah, definitely. Hold on, is it too cold for cult activity? I no. no, no. They have those robes, you know. Keeps them maybe warm. insulated. Well, you know the fires and when they're yeah, that could keep them warm. All right, well, stay safe, Justin. We'll check back in with you. All right, take it easy. All right, later. All right, that is uh, the first person to ever swear on Spooky South Coast, Justin <laughs> Mykowski. That's uh, M Y C. I'm just spelling it for the benefit of the FCC. Okay, so uh, why don't we? We have any breaks to take this hour, Matt? Okay, why don't we take a quick break, and then we'll come back with more. If you'd like to call in with some of your reports from the Bridgewater Triangle or anything you've experienced paranormal, 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast, just about the tail end of hour number two for tonight. That's right, we started an hour earlier, and if you missed it, be sure to check SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can find the entire podcast, podcasts of every show, as well as archive streams. Uh, you can go all the way back to our first couple of shows, including the third show we ever did, which was our first show on the Bridgewater Triangle, when we had Chris Pittman and Aaron Kadju in then as well. And uh, back then, we talked about a lot of the reports that came in uh, from Bull just... Going out into the woods, uh, I know that you told the story of a couple going out there to neck by the Lake Nip, and they were just going to go park their car. And it was a lot more of these, you know, happenstance stories where they just happen to be out there for other purposes. And now we're hearing more and more about people that are going out there and, and searching things out. And I know, Chris, that you are kind of adamant against people going out and searching things out because yeah, it that's does right. Find them. I think it's very dangerous for people to be doing that, and I would I would really caution anybody to really think twice before they would undergo uh, anything like that. It can be uh, really disastrous uh, for your physical and mental health, and and I'm not talking about a sprained ankle here. I'm talking mm-hmm. about uh, when you when you go looking for the paranormal, uh, the paranormal comes back looking for you, and it can be it can be really frightening, and it it's just it's negative. It is negative. In uh, in our experiences last weekend, and we were having some pretty good ones at the Lizzie Borden house, and that was my biggest fear, is that whatever it was that was grabbing us would follow me home, and I have a, a young child, and you know, and, and Chris, you can uh, count to this, you know, they point and they talk to things that you're not sure are there or not, and it kind of does start to mess with your mind, and I could see definitely how people could have breakdowns. Certainly, I mean the the thing. In my experience and in the experiences of many investigators that have that I've encountered, if you if you play ball with this intelligence on its own terms, like if you're a UFO investigator, you're you're only interested in UFOs, you think they're alien spacecraft from another planet, you know, you're going out there and you're cataloging, you know, the the comings and goings of these alien spacecraft and trying to figure out what make and model of spacecraft is represented in a certain sighting, then you're, you're probably going to be okay. It's, but if you get a peek behind the curtain and start to scratch the surface of the reality of, of what's really happening, then some really frightening things can start to take place. And, and do you think that if you get too close and you start to uncover some of those layers uh, in order to protect itself, it attacks? 
I'm a hundred percent certain of that, and I, I'm not sure if I've told this story on Spooky South Coast before. But when I first got involved in UFO investigation, uh, there were two of my colleagues from the New Hampshire chapter of the Mutual UFO Network actually uh, died on a UFO investigation in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Uh, the cause of death was was really strange. They had previously been telling people that they were on the verge of a really exciting breakthrough. It was going to blow everything wide open, and then uh, a short time later they're dead. And that's a story that's repeated itself countless times. And uh, to have that happen to people that I knew and had spoken with was really chilling for me, especially because I had had a whole host of, of strange and frightening things happen to, happening to me right around that same time. And not to the same extreme, but when you investigate the paranormal, um, you are basically making yourself a, a beacon to other things that mm -hmm. might want to uh, uh, attach themselves to you. Now, whether that's um, to a, uh, the spirit of a, someone who's passed, a, you know, a human spirit that uh, sees you and sees you trying to seek something out and knows that maybe you're the person they can contact because they haven't been able to contact the people that they were trying to, or whether there's something maybe darker working there, maybe, you know, what a demonologist would call a demon or, or what other people have kind of labeled, kind of what, you know, suits them. But you're definitely putting yourself out there. And by doing that, you are making yourself very much different than the person that's next to you that doesn't care about that. Mm -hmm. And they will search out people that um, are willing to look at them, willing to talk to them. So. And uh, we have Mike Markowitz from East Bridgewater's uh, Paranormal, East Bridgewater's Most Haunted, but also uh, investigator Ooh. of the paranormal himself. And uh, that's not an EVP, that's the microphone. And uh, so have you ever had any kind of negative experiences from what you've gone out and investigated? Funny you should mention that. Um, yeah, when I first started doing EVPs, um, yes, I did. Um, I believe I had um, a, let's call it an entity uh, following me home from a site that I was investigating when I first started, and um, I was loading up some of the information into my computer and um, listening back to the to the voices that I was hearing, and um, it kind of felt like I was getting strangled almost, mm -hmm. kind of like if you were hanging upside down. Kind of had that feeling. You feel that blood rush. Yeah, and I and I, you know, was listening to this um, particular uh, entity tell me things that I really didn't want to hear. I took my headphones off, saying, you know, "That you know, enough's enough." But I could still hear it, ah. and um, I said, "Well, this is this isn't good," and that's when the fear sets in. Mm -hmm. And um, I got my microphone back on, and um, I recorded a little bit more to see if that what I was hearing would be picked up on on the recorder, and it did. So the same thing I heard live got picked up on the on the recorder, and um, at that point, you basically get a hold of any kind of uh, faith that you have. Mm -hmm. And um, you pray to it, and you get yourself strong internally, again, to try to overcome that. And um, that's what I did. But, yeah, it was pretty scary. That's one thing that a lot of people don't realize is you do have to be strong in what you believe in to be able to take some of the stuff on. That's why we call him Keith Johnson when we're afraid. We just have him come. Uh, he brings the basically the holy water squirt bottle, and we, uh, we had him do it right here in the studio. And he just goes around, and he... You know, blesses each area, makes a sign of the cross with holy water, and, and says a prayer. And uh, for the most part here, it's worked so far so good, knock on wood, but we'll see what happens uh, as we go along here in the night. So, In my experience doing the film, just to you know, kind of elaborate on people that have experienced these things themselves, 
uh, I think when people go out and try to experience these things, they're thinking about how much fun it'll be and how much of a, mm -hmm. a rush it'll be for something like this. But I ran into people that experienced things like the neighbors who live next to Anawan Rock and Officer Downey himself I talked to on the phone. And these are the people that have experienced these things and they don't even want to talk about them. You know, like Officer Downey refused to participate in my film because, you know, he he is probably disturbed by what he saw. Exactly. And, you know, the people that live next to Anawan Rock that have heard the sounds of the drums and have smelled the smoke and have seen the fire, they also don't want to be on the record and talk about what they've seen either. All right, well, we'll get more into some of these stories, some of these reports in our final hour coming up. And if you'd like to join in, 508-996-0500, We're going to take a break for the network news. And on the other side, we'll have more of our show investigating the Bridgewater Triangle. We'll check back in with our teams out in the field as well. So stay tuned for more here on Spooky South Coast.